I think it is safe to say that of all of the deep needs that human beings have, and we've got many, for food, for shelter, for satisfaction, for love, for many things, of all the various needs that human beings have, there is none so uh, personal and, and persevering and universal as the need for some kind of hope in the face of the darkness of death. And I believe that if you have ever looked into the eyes of a parent, at the time they are coming to grips with the reality of having lost a child, or if you have been such a parent yourself, you need no convincing about this point. You know about the desperate hunger for hope. If you've ever attended the the funeral of a loved one, I was at one this past Friday. A woman lost her husband of almost 70 years. And they were desperately in love all the way to the end. Maybe the middle had been rough, but by the end, they loved each other. And you could see it in her eyes. It was welling up in her, this desperate hope that this was not the last time she would see him. She'd have him one day in her arms again. If you've ever had a loved one, who has been torn apart, debilitated by a progressive disease. They're losing their mind. They're losing their bodily strength. You know how much you hope death's not the end. Or or if you've had somebody you cared about, somebody who had so much to give in life, who was suddenly snuffed out in an instant by a terrible accident or a violent act of some kind. You understand this deep need within human beings to know that death is not all there is. Maybe you have come to terms with this reality for yourself personally. You you understand there's coming a day out there on the calendar someplace where that wonderful beating heart of yours is suddenly going to go and no more. And your lungs will stop pumping. And the neurons in your brain will stop firing. And your flesh will start melting. And hopefully this won't happen before dessert at brunch today. (laughs) We're thinking. But it's going to happen. I mean, you know deep inside yourself that there is no amount of physical exercise. You can eat all of the right foods. You can invest in plenty of Botox. It ain't going to stop the reality that at some point you're going to die and they're going to hold this nice service for you and there will be this fine reception and people will tell lots of great stories about you and some of them will be nice stories. Hopefully. Right? But then they're going to go on with their lives until they are the guest of honor at the funeral service. And before too long, in the twinkling of an eye, in the tick of the, of the sweep hand of eternity, they'll be gone. Everybody who ever knew you or anything about you will be gone, and there will be nobody left alive who even knew you ever existed. No wonder we deny death, right? 
No wonder some of you are sitting here right now thinking, boy, I wish I'd gone over to the happy church this morning. <laughs> Man, this is Easter. This is a pretty dark... He's starting out pretty bad. Hope it gets better. And I understand the feeling, right? I, I, as some of you know, I have faced death myself. I've been very close to it. I don't like talking about this stuff. I don't like looking it in the eye. But I'm talking about this reality with you today because it is one of the truths about life that binds us together that we all have in common. And I, and I think it's the reason why we so desperately need the hope that Easter brings. You know, the Bible takes this issue really seriously. You know, if the, if the Bible was this fantasy book and, you know, about bunnies and flowers and sunshine all the time, it'd be pretty useless to us. But it takes the tough stuff of life really, really seriously. It doesn't start with happy thoughts and sunshine and marshmallow chickens, you know? It doesn't begin there. People who think that life is mainly about those kind of euphoric experiences you know, when they think that Easter is really about, you know, flowers and Easter eggs and when we get out for lunch, they don't really need the real Easter. They just need a good parking space when they get to the church. It's those of us who know that we're going to die and our loved ones are also bound for that place themselves. It's, it's we who need the hope of Easter. And... and and that is why the real Easter actually starts right there. It, it starts, it begins in, in the darkness. John chapter 20 and verse 1 reads, While it was still dark, Mary went to the tomb. Now, if you know anything about Mary Magdalene, uh, beyond what the Da Vinci Code tells you. If you've actually read the real story, you know this woman had a pretty difficult life. Uh, the Bible tells us that she was afflicted with various diseases and even with evil spirits. Her life was, was ravaged by the darkness, in a sense. She felt the cold grip of death and its predecessors, disease, and, and debilitating illness. She had no illusions whatsoever about her own mortality. The darkness was always with Mary. But, but then one day, Mary had met Jesus. She, she had met this man with the radiance of immortality about him, and he had healed her. He... he, he, he he was an amazing kind of man. He, everything about him just breathed life with a capital L. He lived every single day of his life just so alive to people and to the details of things. He would see eternity in wildflowers, and he'd see the providence of God in the birds, and he'd, he'd see the value of every single person, and he'd feel the touch of people all around him, even in the midst of the crowd. Jesus was so alive to life. He loved to feast with his friends. He was 
as full of life and appreciative of this life as it's possible to be. And Mary was attracted by that. But it was the fact that he saw beyond that that also drew her. Because Jesus, you see, lived with this vision of a life even greater than what we've got going here at its best. He would speak of this kingdom that lay beyond this life that was all about love and beauty and, and reconciliation and forgiveness and, and hope in a greater intensity than we could experience right now. And he spoke about that as if that was really the real deal and that this life we have here was just preparation for it, just getting us ready to live there or maybe a place where we were failing the test of getting ready to live by this greater kingdom's uh, pattern. And so hearing Jesus and walking with Jesus, for a moment Mary dared to believe that the darkness and death was not all there, there really was, that there was a life beyond. And Mary's hope brightened as it had never done before. That was until the darkness overcame him too. Until it took him too. The Bible tells us that on that Good Friday, between noon and three, darkness came over the whole land. Mary Magdalene was there. She, she saw him being dragged up that hill by the guards, his body already wrecked almost beyond recognition by the torture that inflicted upon him. She was there, standing at the edge of the crowd as they laid him down, pushed him down, and, and he was splayed out across this rude wooden cross. She saw in horror as they hammered these iron nails through those hands that had reached out to children and healed people. She saw the agony on his face as they raised him up against the darkening sky, she watched him die exquisitely, painfully. She saw Jesus crucified, dead, and buried. And like all of the rest of the disciples, it was just one more unthinkable tragedy they had to witness in the news. It was just one more insufferable injustice that made you just curse heaven sometimes and hate people. It, it was just one more incontrovertible piece of evidence that in the end, death is the end. It gets everybody. It defines everything. And the merciless night swept over Mary and all of the other disciples throughout that dark Friday and throughout that silent Saturday and into that despairing Sunday morning. This is something of what the Bible really means when it says, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. But what they found there blew their minds and altered their lives forever. 
And the very thought of it still makes chills run up and down my spine like I'm feeling right this very minute. Maybe you do too, because they got there. And to their surprise, the guards who had been posted to guard the place, to keep anybody from messing with the body, those Roman guards who would never leave that place except under pain of death, they were gone. They had seen something, experienced something that terrified them more than the wrath of Caesar would. And they found this huge stone. And they would seal these tombs, you see, with these massive round stones that were in a groove cut in the rock in front of the tomb. This stone required many men to move it. They found it rolled away. And when they went inside, they they found the body gone, the grave clothes undisturbed. It was, when I say undisturbed, I mean, this is what the story was telling us. They found the, the, the grave clothes still in their shape. The body wrappings and the turban exactly where the body should be, only it appeared that the body had dematerialized right through the fabric and walked away. And then Jesus appeared alive to them. And and not just to Mary and to Peter and to John and to the other disciples, but the Bible goes on to tell us to some 500 other people who who were in different life situations and circumstances. He, Jesus showed up over a period of 40 days to more than 500 of them, and it changed them. And, and, and suddenly these people who were, frankly, really scared when Jesus was killed, I mean, they were rightly nervous that the cops were going to come in any minute, the Roman cops, and drag them away and torture them like they'd seen him be tortured and maybe even crucify them. These people who were terrified suddenly burst out into the world fearless, willing to be tortured, willing to literally be torn apart by wild beasts in the Roman Colosseums rather than deny for a moment that Jesus was Lord. Why? Why would they become like this? Answer. It is because you are no longer afraid of the night when you have personally met the Lord of the dawn. Do you have that assurance for yourself? Do you have an assurance so secure that you know that there is nothing that this life can throw at you that you cannot ultimately rise from, even death itself. Do you have that assurance yourself? Many years ago, Peter Marshall, who was the chaplain of the U.S. Senate, a very famous and wonderful preacher, a Scotsman, had an experience with a member of his congregation that helped to frame for him that kind of assurance. There was a woman in his congregation in Washington whose little boy was dying of cancer. And a night came when the little boy asked the agonizing question of his mom. Mom, he said, 
what's going to happen when I die? Will it hurt? What will become of me? And the mom was wrecked by the question. I mean, tears instantly sprang to her eyes and a lump in her throat. And she made this excuse to get up from the bed and rush off into the kitchen to attend like she smelled something burning or something. She just needed a moment to collect herself. And, 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 so, and so she she's in there in the kitchen and she leans her head up against the refrigerator and she's just stifling these sobs and she's praying out to God, God, help me hold it together. Give me something to say. I want to answer him. He needs an answer. Help me. And God answered the prayer. And she walks back out of the kitchen and into the child's bedroom. And she sits down on the bed next to him. And she looks into his inquisitive eyes and she says, Kenny, do do you remember when you were very young, you'd get just so very, very tired from playing hard all day long? I mean, boy, you would... You'd just be so exhausted, you wouldn't even bother to get undressed. You would just come into my bedroom and you'd just jump into my bed and you'd collapse there and you'd fall asleep. Do you remember that? Oh, he smiled. He remembered those days happily. And she said, you know, do you remember how, how you'd wake up the next day and you'd find yourself not in my bed, but in your bed, because my bed wasn't where you belonged. And your bed, your room, was where you belonged. Do you, do you remember that? And he kind of looked up and said, and with a sort of look of yeah, I kind of remember that. And, and she says, you know, that happened because somebody really loves you, Kenneth. Someone really cares for you. And while you were asleep, your father would come and he would find you in this bed and he would reach down and he would take you in his big strong arms and he would carry you to where you belonged, your room, your bed. And the boy's face lit up with a smile. And then she reached out her hand and she took hold of his hand and she said, Kenneth, darling, that is what death is like. That is what death is like. And she could see from his eyes that the fear and worry had receded and that hope and confidence was there and that he was going to be able to travel this next distance. Okay. Several weeks later, Kenneth fell asleep for the last time. And his heavenly father came and took him in his very strong arms and took him to himself and carried him to his own room where he belonged. Beloved, On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples, and they were scared. Because he was about the toughest, strongest, 
most resolute, invincible human being they had ever met. And it was clear he believed he was about to die. And if he was going to die, what hope was there for them? This is what Jesus said to them that night. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid, but trust in God, your heavenly Father. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many rooms, and I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare that place, I will come back to take you to be with me, to take you there so that you will always be where I am. Friends, you can trust that promise. Okay? If you put your hand into the hands of Jesus, you don't need to fear the night. You don't need to. When college professor Tony Campolo, some of you may have heard that name before, was just 16 years of age, he went to his very first funeral service at one of those African-American Baptist churches uh, that eventually became his spiritual home. And uh, it was like nothing that Campolo had ever experienced at a funeral before. Uh, The pastor of the service uh, began talking about the Easter day, about the resurrection of Jesus. And he talked right into the face of the family, the grieving family at the service, about all of the marvelous hope and promise of God, the glory of that day. Then the pastor did something very strange, writes Campolo. He turned away from the family and he approached the casket, the open casket where the body was laid. And he began talking to the dead man. Clarence! Clarence, he said, we lost you too soon. We lost you too fast, Clarence. And then he went on and talked to Clarence about all the ways that he'd been such a blessing to his family, such a blessing to the people of his church and to his friends, such a blessing out in the community. He just went on talking about all the goodness of this life that Clarence had participated in and made possible for other people. And then he concluded and he said, Now, Clarence, we have said Just about everything we need to say, there's only one thing left to say. And with that, the pastor took a step closer, and he rested his hand on top of the casket lid, and he slammed it shut with a bang. And he said, Good night, Clarence. Good night, Clarence. Good night, Clarence. And then he added with a wry smile, we'll see you in the morning, Clarence. 
Oh, yes, he said, God's going to give you a good, good morning, Clarence. Yes, and he turns to the congregation. What a good, good morning. God's prepared for Clarence up there. And the organ struck up the sound and the song. And the choir burst to their feet and began to sing. And the people rose spontaneously from their chairs. And they too began to sing. And they filled the aisles. And they were hugging and crying and laughing and singing on that great getting up morning. We're going to rise. We're going to rise. You know, they're just going after it. We're going to rise on that morning. When morning comes, we're going to rise. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. And Easter is Jesus' attempt to prove it to us. It is God's assurance to us. Oh, yes, we will. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it in the closing pages of the final book of his magnificent Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe you read the story called The Last Battle. Because in this encounter, Aslan, who is the great Lion King before Disney thought about it, uh, Aslan, who represents Christ, is speaking to this group of children who represent the church. And the news that he shares with them is pretty dark at first, okay? But it's dark only in the way the darkness is just before the dawn. And let me read from the last battle uh, for you. There was an accident, Aslan says softly to the children. There was an accident. And your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, that world you've been living in, you're dead, said Aslan. You're dead. But let me put it more properly and helpfully for you. The school term is over. The holiday has just begun. Your dream is ended. This is the morning. And Lewis goes on and writes, the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot even write them for the children. It was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read. The story which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. Beloved Don't miss being swept up in that adventure. Don't miss the abundant life 
that the Lord of life will make possible for you here and now in these shadow lands. Don't miss the eternal life that the Lord of the dawn promises you if you walk with him, if you rest in him. As the philosopher Plato once wrote, we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when people are afraid of the light. Do not turn your back on the light when you walk from here. Because the light of the world has come, the light which no darkness can ever finally overcome. He came into this world. He laid down his life to find you and to to seek after me. And he invites us to begin a new morning, a new day with him. This Easter, ask him to come into your heart and life to be the savior from sin and death that you need and the leader of your life that you need to optimize what is possible here on this earth. Because if you will issue that invitation, he will come in. And you are going to find that the next chapter of your journey will be even better than the one that came before. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are the answer to our very deepest needs. Your life and teaching give us a vision for the purpose and the potential of our own life. Your death on the cross makes it possible for us to be forgiven and reconciled with you, the Lord of life. Your resurrection from the grave shows us that we never need fear the nightfall. For this life, as good as it may be, is only the beginning. And if that is not a reason for us to sing hallelujah, Lord, we don't know what is. So help us to sing your praises with gusto the whole of our life as we walk with you from here. And all God's children said,